0: To the and Rince Podcast, Volume Eight, Issue Three Hundred and Eighty Six, and today we're going to talk about Assassin's Creed Four: Black Flag. You can play along with the show. We've got DJ Hero and DJ Hero Two up next. Then we're going to cover the Galaxian series. After that, we're going to cover a trilogy—that is, the Donkey Kong Country trilogy. Following that, it's the penultimate Final Fantasy show with Thirteen, and then, in time for Halloween, maybe The Evil Within. Maybe the sequel's in time for Halloween. I forget. Either way, join us at canarince.com for the full schedule. You can get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers for just a dollar a month. That's around 20 pence a week, 81p a month if you like, less than a euro, patreon.com slash You get early access to every show, often extended shows, an exclusive monthly show various other bits and bobs as well. We have three other podcasts, Sound of Play, Playwright and The Sausage Factory on Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays, respectively. Please subscribe, review and rate to all of our shows. Follow us on social media. Don't forget, you can download or stream any of our old podcasts via canandrince.com as well. We also have some video presence on Twitch and YouTube. Search out our name. And we thank you for doing all of that. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 386 are Brian Edwards. Hello. That didn't even sound like you, Brian. Really? Oh, no, it does now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it the puzzled question and ending everything sort of on a a high note?
0: That's Brian. (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Uh, And that's Carl Moon. Hey, guys. (laughs) And welcome back after two years in the brig. It's Ryan Heyman. Ahoy. Ahoy. Uh, Our pleasure to have you back aboard the good ship, Cana Rince, and other seafaring analogies and metaphors. Um, (laughs) Let's just let's let's get right past those. Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, then the sixth sort of standalone installment in the Assassin's Creed series, arriving six years into the life of the franchise, give or take. Uh, It is notable for being the only main game to have both a Roman numeral in its title and a subtitle, as well as being the first main entry to have the historical elements set before the previous one. This is a spoiler warning for the whole game and the whole podcast. Right at the end, you find out that uh, the protagonist of this game gives birth to a significant character from the previous game. Indeed, Is that entirely accurate? <laughs> he helps with somebody else giving birth to.
2: Yeah, I don't think I don't think that Edward actually does the giving birth himself. I believe there's an off-screen character that does the birthing. Yeah,
0: no, you're right. I know it, it is a sort of fantasy game, but it's not quite that uh, <laughs> fantastical. Yes, no, very very well put. He he, he's involved in the creation of the protagonist for the next game, uh, for the previous game. You're quite right. He doesn't give birth. He's not a seahorse. Yes, we we covered Assassin's Creed 3 some time ago, if you want to check that podcast out. But uh, I'm not sure if we played Assassin's Creed 4 at the point some of us may have done anyway. This is, of course, a Ubisoft production across three of their studios, Montreal, Milan and Kiev, Published by Ubisoft naturally with directors Jean Gudon Ashraf Ismail and Damien K- uh, Keegan, I think that is uh, and the writer is Darby McDevitt for the main game with Brian Tyler on music duties. The engine is anvil next now I don't really follow engine stuff too closely is this the is is that anvil next as in this was another generation of a of an engine that was already there did they have a separate engine for the ps4 and xbox one versions does anyone know or is that beyond our interest and knowledge
1: anvil was the original thing this is the next generation of that engine okay. so anvil was the original engine that assassin's creed was built on
0: sure okay and actually although this game does go across the generations it's really it doesn't uh, it doesn't benefit from the xbox one ps4 Tech in the same way that subsequent games would because there was still it was still primarily developed with the PS3 and 360 and Wii U. It came out on all those platforms and Windows PC around October, November 2013. It's the first Assassin's Creed game not to have a mobile version released, and everybody cried. Although it did have a mobile companion app, which some people have actually talked about as being quite uh, an interesting addition to this game, where you got to uh, play with Kenway's fleet outside of the main game, and you could put the map on it and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it, it was really useful. And then the moment that this game got released for free... Um, as part of, I can't remember if it was PlayStation, the game. I think it was Games with Gold to gave away. And in the same month that that game got given away on Games with Gold, Ubisoft oh. pulled the app from the
0: App Store. Easy come, easy go. As with its predecessor, Assassin's Creed 3, this one also features an additional 60 minutes or thereabouts of downloadable gameplay for Sony's PS3 and PS4 consoles featuring uh, Aveline, Aveline, the Grand Prix. So I've not experienced that because I played this on Xbox One. I mean, it's an hour she seems quite a cool character. I saw some of her in the sort of assets and things that you can collect in the Abstergo section of the game, but uh, but I don't it wasn't enough given that I got the Xbox 1 game for free. I wasn't going to buy it on PS4 just so I got that extra 60 minutes of gameplay. The Switch version is coming. Just as we were putting this show together, the uh, compilation which also features Freedom Cry and Rogue, is coming out for Nintendo Switch in December 2019, which is, that's one heck of a package, that's to be said. Reviews-wise, the game was consistent, uh, or reviewers were consistent, I suppose, across all the formats, all the generations, around 85% on average. So another healthy Assassin's Creed release. I think things took a bit of a dip following uh, in subsequent games with Rogue. And then uh, was Unity next? Right. Rogue and Unity came out at the same time. It was just kind of across the generations. Uh, yeah. Okay. Rogue was the last gen one. That's right. Yeah. Which was also a game with gold indeed. Uh, as of... May 2014, so this was early in the game's life, it may have shipped a few more since then and obviously been given away, but Ubisoft announced that the game had shipped over 11 million copies as of then. Who knows what it's up to now and what it will be up to once the Switch version has uh, had its outing. User reviews-wise, how do the folks, the punters, feel about this game? Well, the IMDb folks, and there's about 12,000 of those, rated 8.8 8 out of 10, over on Push Square gets 8.2 on ps three and 8.3 on ps3 make of that what you will but our histories with the game uh ryan welcome back when did you play assassin's Creed 4 thanks how did you play it
3: yeah so i originally got my ps4 as a birthday present <clears throat> i feel like i have to apologize my Very voice nice. is going to sound pretty bad today croaky
0: ryan because i'm still getting over some pax pox that's the term. Paxbox. He doesn't always sound like, for, for those who aren't familiar with Ryan, he used to be on this podcast. He still presents uh, Sound of Play and playwright. And normally he has the, uh, the honey-coated oak-smoked voice <laughs> of Radio Joy. But today sounds a bit groggish. But, today uh, it's just more, more like, like regular regularly. oak. Yes. So anyways, <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. So I got the PS4 as a birthday present a few months after it came out. And... I just kind of wanted a big shiny game to play on it. And so I went out out and bought Assassin's Creed four. At this point, I was pretty like down on the Assassin's Creed series. So I don't really know what inspired me to pick this one up other than just like, it looked like kind of the biggest and shiniest thing out there. Um, I never hated Assassin's Creed, but like, I think by this point, just the general kind of malaise with the series and it's number of, uh, yearly releases. And especially after kind of, being um, burnt by Revelations and then, you know, three kind of got like mixed reviews, although I've enjoyed it a lot more going back to it afterwards. But anyways, um, so mm. I, I wasn't like a huge Assassin's Creed fan at this time. It felt like Assassin's Creed burnout was kind of like in full, full swing at this point. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I played it through on PS4 and then just recently in pre- preparation for the show, I uh, downloaded and installed the... Um, pc version and uh, went through a significant
0: portion of that again i guess you can make the pc version look pretty nice you can indeed mm. brian what did you play this on and when ish
2: uh i was uh launch uh, day for this assassin's creed title i've i felt very burned by assassin's creed 3 assassin's creed 3 excuse me uh like a lot of people did right. it wasn't my favorite yeah. entry in the series and and I wasn't going to pull the trigger originally on, on, on launch day, but then I, I remember reading some preview coverage where um, it kind of addressed some of my more concerns with the with the pr- previous game, and it said, you know, basically you, you kind of got to the game a little sooner, you know, kind of opened you up a little quicker, and and I just read enough about it and, and saw some things, and plus pirates, so um, I decided to pick it up on on the first day and yeah, I played through it on 360 and really enjoyed it, and, I ha- and since we put it down, I hadn't touched it until coming back to prepare for this podcast i had a games with gold so i played uh the xbox one uh, actually i played on an xbox one x um, which also makes it look pretty nice too and uh yeah so i played through it again uh this time around i remember having like really fond memories of it and really enjoying it the first time through and after revisiting it for, to prepare for the show i think my opinions have soured a bit but we'll talk about that as we get further on
0: okay carl limited collector's editions toy pirate ships what did you uh, splash out for when this came out
1: so, uh, I feel like you know me too well at this point, Leon. Um, <laughs> this was an Xbox One launch day title for me, um, right. and it was the collector's edition with the nice Kenway on the rope hanging from the mast. Um, okay. It, very pretty looking collector's edition indeed. Um, unlike Brian, I was coming into Assassin's Creed 4 after playing Assassin's Creed 3, which is my favorite Assassin's Creed title. Um, so, I was really excited coming into this i felt like 3 had been a huge step in the right direction and i wanted to see what they were going to be able to do with 4 it was obviously the next generation um consoles as well um so it was it was going to be nice to get it on that i did get the xbox one version with the uh the slightly lower uh, resolution ratio than the than the ps4 yeah it does yeah played it a little bit throughout um sort of november um then went back to it for a good chunk in mid 2016 and then came to it again at the start of 2017 to sort of finish it all off so it was a, it was a kind of a long project for me probably is why i've not really come around to a, a where i stand on the game which we'll obviously talk about a little bit later on um, but it's rare for me to go take so long to go through an assassin's creed title but it, yeah it was a, it was a long project game for me
0: yeah listeners going all the way back may or may not remember that i i've only played two prior assassin's Creed creed games properly in fact possibly at all i played assassin's creed 2 soon after it came out completed that i played assassin's creed 3 for this podcast whenever we did that a few years ago and then i've left another big gap before playing this one which i received yeah on xbox one games with gold at some point in living memory it's been sitting there in the library thinking i'll play that when it comes to the show so i've played it over the last few weeks I've also played Freedom Cry, which is not an official part of this show, but we'll just touch on it because it's very unlikely to get its own podcast. It's a a bit of DLC and standalone. Uh, And, yeah, I suppose I probably underestimated how long it was going to take me to finish it. I think I played 40 to 45 hours without 100 percenting everything, uh, probably could easily do another 15 hours if I wanted to mop everything up. And Freedom Cry was probably about six hours And again, probably could add another four hours onto that to 100% it. So, yes, uh, a a sizable time investment, although compared to what some of the crew have been putting into Odyssey in the last few months, uh, Uh it's still quite, quite piffling. Um, That game seems to be sort of 150 hours minimum. (laughs) But uh, uh, this uh, this still feels quite chunky to me, especially as part of a a podcast series with a deadline. Uh, We're also, as always, of course, going to hear from correspondents from the Cana Rince community. CanaRince.com slash forum. First up, we've got Kintaris who says, Black Flag remains one of my favourite entries in a series I unashamedly adore. Few games nail the pirate vibe particularly accurately, but Black Flag presents a morally dubious and violent world that seems much more realistic than most pirate fiction, despite having one of the daftest Abstergo storylines in the entire series running alongside it. Edward may well be my favourite AC protagonist. He's the closest to a true anti-hero I've seen in video games, a genuinely flawed and unlikable character who, despite having moments of redemption, ultimately can't save himself from misery or indeed death. In the extended universe, we learn that Edward is the only Assassin's Creed protagonist to be unglamorously murdered and his son converted to enemy ideologies. The depictions of classic pirates are perhaps the closest the series has come to highlight the subtlety of the literal Assassin's Creed. It's not about a life free from rules, but a life in which we take responsibility for our actions. No matter how noble their philosophies, none of the pirates of Nassau truly grasp this and their demise is both sad and satisfying to watch unfold. Gameplay-wise, there are certainly problems. As usual, the map is too large and filled with pointless collectibles and the combat is average at best. But ship-to-ship battles and riding through storms feel spectacular while clambering fluidly over ancient ruins never gets old for me. And Simon Sloth has a bit of a story to tell. Simon says, My journey with Black Flag starts and ends as all good adventures do with a queue. It was the night of November 28th 2013, a bitterly cold evening when I decided foolishly to join the back of the queue at the PlayStation Lounge in Covent Garden, London and wait for the midnight launch of the hallowed PS4. I was excited not only to be able to buy my sparkly new console at the moment of its launch but also snap up the next Assassin's Creed as a huge fan of the series. We were promised entertainment and sustenance throughout the evening, which ended up being hip at the time, tiny temper performing just out of sight around the corner and the dregs of the pizza, which the front of the queue didn't want. The entertainers who worked the crowd were out of ideas and prizes by the time they got to us at the back of the queue, with many of us as unprepared for the wait with depleted DS's, Vitas and phones. We were given launch day PS4 blankets, and eventually, after many hours in the ice cold, got into the store around 1 a.m. Having watched bright red, bright-eyed, sorry, well-fed customers scamper off as the queue grew smaller. By the time I got home, it was about 2:30 a.m. I turned my PS4 on and put the game in, which I received an on-screen prompt saying a mandatory update was required. <laughs> I went to sleep. The next morning, I played an hour of Black Flag and thought, was all that really worth it? Then I spent the rest of the day upgrading the hard drive before trying again. To me, it sat somewhere in the middle between a pirate simulator and an Assassin's Creed game. To a certain extent, an element of fatigue had set in with regards to the Ubisoft open world formula. So this variation in theme was welcomed, but it didn't seem like the next generational leap I thought it would be. When out on the open seas partaking in the looting and plundering, the game excels but is still bogged down by the myriad of icons on the map which offer very little purpose and detract from the experience. The long intermissions of item collecting and pointless side quests between story beats made the narrative less impactful and the characters extremely forgettable. I resented a lot of my time with it, and as my sole purchase on the console, I felt pangs of regret. I still finished the game, and after the credits rolled, I sold it almost immediately. When I heard the game was being covered by Kana Rince this year, I bought the game again, second hand, and popped it into my console for a final chance at redemption. I was greeted by a notification that an update had joined my download queue. My memories came flooding back, and I thought, I'm not waiting for you again. Not this time. I sold the game again. (laughs) There you go. So the scenario is Abstergo Industries, modern day front for the organisation of the Templars. As we know by now, anyone who's been following the series, they've opened an entertainment subsidiary in Montreal, Quebec, using advanced technology that allows reliving fragments of the lives of people from the past. The unnamed protagonist, is hired by the company to connect to the life of Edward Kenway, a Welsh privateer leaving, living in the 18th century. Through a series of events, Edward assumes the identity of a rogue member of the Assassins, reporting to Loriano Torres, the governor of Cuba and also the Grand Master of the Templars. Initially motivated by greed, Edward finds himself at odds with both the Templars and the Assassins, who are both pursuing a mysterious man known as the Sage, in order to gain access to the secret technology of the First Civilization Capital F, capital C. I don't know how much you guys cared about all this stuff inside and outside the Animus, how much you were invested in the Abstergo saga. Feel free to let me know.
3: My opinion on Assassin's Creed is kind of my exact opposite opinion on Kano which is for Assassin's Creed, the less Desmond, the better, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> all the kind of like mounting self-seriousness of the outside of the Animus scenes in the previous games, and it felt all like it was a little bit. Much and so for this time to immediately kind of go into what felt like a little bit of more of like a light-hearted piss take of just like the Self-parody. whole yeah exactly um and the fact that they were kind of like framing it as a video game company that was hard up for ideas and looking for interesting settings to set their next yeah. Assassin's Creed game essentially I, that all kind of like rubbed me the right way and. I was, I was really on board with it. You know, I don't think that it was like incredibly interesting, um, from like a gameplay or even like a lore perspective to, you know, whatever kind of degree, but I, uh, I did appreciate it. And I think that like setting it in first person, having it in the modern setting, um, it it just kind of mixed it up enough to be, uh, to be welcome whenever it came up, which is pretty infrequently actually.
0: Yeah. Five times, five chapters. There's, there's it's like there's a complete kind of quotes walking simulator kind of hacking first person it's like a almost an entire although it is intertwined it feels like it almost could have been a release on its own or something it's pretty and there's a lot to do in it again a lot of collecting if you want it a lot of hacking if you want it but there's also hours and hours of audio and video footage in there or may, maybe not hours but there's a lot of tapes there's a lot of audio tapes in there there's even some stuff which really I thought, thought was quite eye-popping where there's a sort of um, mock reassessment of the protagonists of the previous games where it rejects most of them, including uh, Connor from Assassin's Creed 3 and pretty much takes the piss out of its audience for not having understood the character. It's like <laughs> this was only popular among our more intelligent, less racist uh, kind of fans <laughs> kind of, in so many words, which I thought was quite entertaining. Yeah, there was some really good information that was kind of hidden in there around the
1: terminals. If you take the time to read it, Um, potential concepts that have been thrown out, other concepts that are maybe still potential ideas for a game. It does actually mention um, revolutionary France. It does actually mention ancient Egypt, um, obviously both of which we've had. Um, I enjoyed walking around trying to find the little post-it notes with the little things on. It was pointless, but I still enjoyed doing it. And in a strange way, I quite enjoyed the little bits of story arc that were in there. And it's definitely a lot better than the last time they did first person in the Assassin's Creed game in Revelations, which was awful. I think it was kind of that self-deprecating humour is maybe not something that we potentially look at with the Assassin's Creed games. Um, I was probably the only person ever invested in the Desmond story arc, <laughs> leading all the way through till three. So when it was obviously when that story arc kind of faded a little bit in 4, I was a little bit disappointed, but I was won over by the kind of the humor and sort of the visual break from leaving, you know, the Caribbean and, and going around on the on the ship and stuff to actually do a first-person journey around the studios there. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed the little sort of break in the pace of the game.
2: Yeah, to to build on that, I feel like when you were taken out of the animus in the previous entries of the game, it was really jarring in the wrong way. Where you maybe, especially during um, Assassin's Creed 2 and and the, and the in that in the Ezio trilogy, there, it just felt like. All I wanted to do was keep existing in Italy and going back to that world. And then and then it would just pull me out of the animus and make me do these things. I didn't want to do where where this felt like a like almost a much needed break. Uh, And Mm. and I thought that I thought the the writing was pretty charming. I thought they obviously it's already been touched on, but just kind of taking having a laugh at themselves a little bit and kind of treating the whole like the whole Assassin's Creed verse as as ridiculous as it is and i don't mean that like to 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 belittle it it's just it's a whole ridiculous thing so let's you know kind of embracing the goofiness a little bit i i I thought it was i thought it was a lot of fun and and i spent i spent more time during my second playthrough doing that than i did during the first one and i really kind of enjoyed taking my time and reading those things and doing the hacking mini games and i'm a sucker for those anyway so
0: i will uh, just very nitpickingly Slightly criticised the horizontal Frogger hacking mini game for having an awful bit of input lag on the uh, on the cursor, uh, but the the spinny ball hacking was quite fun, and I did all but one of those without looking at the solution. Uh, the final one of which did uh, I did get fed up with and, and look up. But uh, but yeah, they they you know again just such a, a a broad package. This stuff like it it is very easy to fall back on the stuff, and it obviously does bother us and other players. The Ubisoft map formula and all that kind of thing. But there's there's a load of other stuff as well. It's it's not just it's not just going from point to point on a map. These games there is there is a lot of substance and content. I think as well beyond that. Talking about the in the Animus stuff as well. Then uh, Mark Hoog from the forum says Assassin's Creed Black Flag is my favourite Assassin's Creed game mainly because it was not really an Assassin's Creed game it's a pirate game while it may not be as historically profound as Assassin's Creed 3 it was simply the most fun I've ever had in Ubisoft's sprawling and overly convoluted Assassin's verse even the present day Abstergo stuff isn't all that excruciating this time around There's a joyous sense of adventure in Edward Kenway's story and the exotic locations inspire a sense of wonder and mystery. I didn't fast travel until late in the game, which is always a good way of measuring my immersion. Often I would sail the seas at a leisurely pace, step ashore at some remote, deserted little island and just stand on the beach, listening to the waves and admiring the vastness of the ocean. Heck, just typing this makes me want to travel back to the virtual Caribbean. The only thing stopping me is the scary shark bits. (laughs) I don't like scary shark bits we've got at least two people on the caner ints team who feel the same way <laughs> i think uh, we've already had at least one piece of feedback sort of saying that because of the nature of the game and and it's very hard with telling a story across 40 hours with lots of collecting and seafaring to to keep Obviously, the pacing is kind of out of the the writer's hands to an extent, and I think I certainly found it was possible to maybe with the the less main characters to kind of forget who people were. But what I did appreciate was I think it's um it's a really juicy, fruity script that's rather well written and and quite entertaining, and engaging. Like it's not it's not super highbrow, but it's above it's a it's above kind of the most lowest common denominator stuff that we might sometimes get. I, I will say that uh, um, Edward, I think, is. One of the Assassin's Creed protagonists
3: that I really had the most fun with. Yeah, it's kind of odd because he's the type of character that I tend to not enjoy that much in video games because I feel like there's this this archetype of yeah exactly this kind of like <laughs> this kind of roguish Han Solo type, which is great. Like I love Han Solo, but it's just like sure. every video game <laughs> character for the longest time and even still kind of now are just that same character over and over again, and I feel like mm. what makes edward fun is that the kind of like roguish assholeness really set him apart from the previous games where everything was trying to convince you that you were like a part of a bigger story that you were like a part of some predestined magical you know this this feeling of like being the world savior like edward was never really about that like he got swept up in like world saving stuff but like he was he always kinda felt like he was out there just for himself and like his goals yeah. were very yeah. like graspable and attainable. He just wanted money and settled yeah. down with his
0: with his woman. Which yeah. which
3: I can relate to. Like I just you know, it's it's so much <laughs> more relatable than just like we have to save the world from this this threat of the ancient Templars and their magical I don't know.
0: That's just less interesting to me. Yeah, he was prepared to be moral-less and ethic-less, or almost, but uh, to set himself up for the rest of his life, and that that isn't something that maybe you know humanity should aspire to. Isn't? It's <laughs> what a lot of humanity does, but but there there we are. Um, but playing a character who is motivated in that way is uh, I don't yeah. For, for some people, that will be a terrible turnoff. It was, uh, a, it was for a good instance. heel to Assassin's Creed previous flaws in in their writing. And um and yeah, I, I did check my body count towards the end of the game and uh, my Edward had killed 1,200 men. <laughs> Which I think back then was about all of them, right? <laughs> so not really a lovable rogue. I remember
2: thinking multiple times when playing through over the last few weeks that it, a, a cut scene would happen or it'd be the end of a big story bit and... All everything ended with Edward just being like, So this is this is how we're gonna get the money, right? Like 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 everybody's like, Oh, the Templars and the Assassins. He's like, No, I just like like we're gonna go back and get hammered, right? We're gonna go back and drink and fall asleep, and then we're gonna wake up and and suddenly when we find this observatory, everything's gonna be great. We're gonna have all the money, but having no real clear goal. Like he was an asshole, <laughs> uh, but, and I, and not a lovable one either. Like I, I didn't particularly like him, not but really. I, I, I'd say charismatic. I, I didn't find him that charismatic, but I, but no. I also, I enjoyed playing as him because it made me feel a little bit less. I don't know if guilty is the right word, but like, like, I felt like going around and, and, yeah, responsible, that's a good way to put it. I felt a little less like a complete jerk for going around and just, you know, hey, there's that trading ship. I'm just going to go over and kill everybody on board and use it to repair my own ship. You know, like, it seemed yeah. like that was something that Edward Kenway would do. So,
3: yeah. Also, I feel like there's a very subtle thing in, in the way that his character is presented in that um, you can... Get to see him get to like the other characters, which usually in video games, like a lot of the writing is kind of like this character is on my side. That means they're a friend or they're against me, meaning they're a threat, which is a very kind of like caveman way to look at things. And I Mm. feel like you really got a sense that like, you know, once a character made him laugh, like he would kind of let down his defenses a little bit. And you got to like, see just a little bit of growth in like the first 30 seconds of him meeting somebody like, um, that comic relief character towards the beginning of the game that he basically just kind of like goes along on his ship. Yeah. Yeah. Like that guy is kind of a kind of bumbling, but also very endearing. And I feel like at first like the first couple of interactions with Edward, he was just kind of like, whatever, this guy's not. But like once he started to make Edward laugh a little bit, then like they got to be a lot more chummy.
0: Yeah. And similarly, with uh, he had a, 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 an in and out of, of friendship arc with various of the other uh, pirates he met along the way. Vance, the the Ralph Innocent or Ironson character with the unmistakable voice, of course, Charles Vane. And um, and he actually, I, I mean, I, I wasn't entirely convinced that it was uh, earned. But Thatch, you know, Blackbeard's kind of death scene, he got all very, he got very emotional about this guy who I hadn't spent a huge amount of time with in the game, <laughs> um, and and also uh, later, obviously, um, the the woman who was obviously not ever a, a man. <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking on the names here, but um, Kid Captain Kid, uh, who was who was blatantly. Mary, Re- Mary Reed. That was yeah. a funny scene. It's like, they play yeah. it like a big dramatic reveal and it's like, uh, yeah. were are we not supposed to know that she was a woman the whole time. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't sure. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I, I suppose we, we could give them a certain amount of slack for, or give Edward a certain amount of slack for context. Like the assumption was no woman would, would be this person or do these things kind of thing. But actually, you know, the fact that she, for, from our point of view as a player, the fact that she had a woman's voice and a woman's face was a bit of a giveaway, <laughs> but, uh, Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, it was entertaining anyway, but um, yeah, there was some, as I say, I think the, the problem with, with these stories is, and again, it's, you know, it's the old sort of marrying up the, the narrative with the gameplay is that it's hard to keep the emphasis on unless you do the the missions just one after the other bang 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 and don't do any of the side stuff the momentum and the, and your engagement with it can be, can quite easily take a backseat to oh there's an island I'll collect a chest oh there's an <laughs> animal I'll take its skin and so on and so on
1: i do think that that harms the character because there's clearly something there that characters are drawn to Kenway, you know, Kenway is that character that people are fascinated by, they're drawn to, and they can kind of earn his loyalty and stick with them. And he is a rogue. I don't necessarily know he's the charming rogue that the intention for the game was there. I didn't necessarily feel that. I didn't particularly like him as a character. Yeah, me um, too. I feel that there wasn't enough vulnerability from him as a character, which is one of the reasons why I was drawn to Connor from Assassin's Creed 3, because I felt that was probably the first time they'd really gone down that route. And as a result, I just, the, the story arc that revolves around him wasn't one that I really enjoyed. I could I could see what they were trying to do with the character. I just feel like they, they kind of really missed with it. You know, other than the novelty of him actually being, you know, of, of a Welsh origin, then there was very little there for me that, you know, I
0: kind of appreciated being, you know, you for a change. As you mentioned, uh, Edward's voice actor, Matt Ryan, chose to voice him originally with a Mancunian accent. However, after the game developers heard the actor's natural Welsh accent, they asked if he could voice Edward using his native Welsh. As a result, Edward's backstory was rewritten to have him born in Wales, in Swansea, specifically to a farming family. Despite this being an Assassin's Creed entry, the main character of the game is not an assassin and does not become one until nearing the end of the game. There was also much false propaganda surrounding Edward Kenway saying that he was a pirate who was trained by the assassins or that he was both at the same time. In truth, he never trained with trains with the assassins and lived solely as a pirate before officially joining the Brotherhood. Unlike most Ubisoft and Assassin's Creed protagonists, Edward is uh, uniquely not motivated by revenge or the memory of a deceased relative throughout most of the game. Gaining great fortune, fame and glory is Edward's motivation, according to IMDb Trivia. Uh, Leddy129 from the forum says, playing this game about two years ago, I found Edward to be instantly likable, despite or possibly because of his shaky moral compass, 1,200 murders, and often selfish decision making. His misadventures are often wildly entertaining, and while a few missions had me questioning whether I'd completed them as the game intended, or simply cheesed my way through a haphazard alternative, they were broadly speaking well designed, providing a decent challenge. However, as the world continued to open up and the game progressively threw more distractions between me and my next mission marker, I couldn't help but feel the pacing of the narrative slowed to an absolute crawl. I take some responsibility for this, as I tend to be something of a completionist, but when the game expects you to remember specific characters' faces, already a tougher ask in games compared to film, or minute plot details, far too much of the moment-to-moment story was lost on me. That was until about a month ago, when I watched through a YouTube video of all the cutscenes and story crucial gameplay moments run together. What I found in that three hours was an expertly paced narrative that told a tight and often surprisingly relatable story, one that had me frequently chuckling at the absurd moments and cheering Edward on as he slowly found redemption. This puts Black Flag in a weird position. As a game, I loved the moment-to-moment gameplay. The naval, in particular, is a blast. On its own terms, I also love the narrative and the colourful cast of characters that make up this world. However... Put together, a strange dissonance is created that cheapens the overall experience in favour of more map markers. Okay, Uh, visuals then. So this is a, uh, a game at the end of the previous gen, the start of this gen. I've played only the Xbox One version, which, uh, and I've also I played, a, uh, played Freedom Cry on the PS4, so the, the sort of the difference in resolution there is somewhat apparent on a large screen. The, the Xbox One game looks quite a lot grainier and there's a few sort of effects missing and stuff. However, given it is also a last-gen game and it's an early this-gen game, I thought for the most part, and certainly in places, especially when travelling the sea and at certain times of day, it was gorgeous, like really gorgeous. Um, I mean, probably pales in comparison. We've got uh, people, particularly um, among the Kane and Rince team, who I know who have been absolutely raving about the current engine that they're using on games like uh, Origins and Odyssey in, in, in particular. But here we've got a game that's now six years old and also ran in, albeit in lower resolution and frame rate on previous gen systems. And there were points where I, was ge- I thought it was genuinely stunning. No no HDR, no no 4K, but just uh, some really stunning use of C. Um, and for every, there also some really, yeah, some quite high res textures on, on land and ground and things like that. Some pretty cool weather effects. There are certainly some things that give it away on a technical level, like the fact that certain areas are kind of instanced. So there's a lot of sort of warping and, fast traveling between outside of an island and inside of an island in certain areas. Uh, it's not a contiguous, true free roaming open world like in the modern games. But overall, yeah, I, I spent I was very happy just like like our correspondent said, just sometimes just standing and looking at it.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that they do is the sell a genuine authenticity um, about the, the islands that you go around. So whilst there are minor differences, they all feel like they belong in the same region of the world. So mm-hmm. when you're actually navigating them, you never feel like something's so out of place that it breaks you out of that world. And when a world sort of um, encaptures you like that naturally looks better because there's nothing sort of distracting you from it. I think uh, those rocky
2: sections sticking out of the water sometimes, especially in the southeastern, southwestern part of the map, you kind of have to navigate through these channels. And I remember... Looking through, looking at those last couple of weeks. On top of those rocky outcrops, where where Edward's never going to walk, you can't climb up there. It's not meant for you to play on. There, like yeah. the way the way that the the vegetation grows on top of those. And I I remember specifically, I took a screenshot of it on my Xbox, where there was one palm tree that had kind of like grew sideways and curved down to get out from underneath, so the leaves could you know get the sun and the rain and Mm. i'm like that's what a that's what a tree would do it it was it's all very authentic Mm. that attention to detail um with assassin's creed 4 is 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 seen throughout i think all the different environments and it was one of the first times when i was playing originally i remember like i remember i stopped i had at the time i had a 27 inch vizio hd tv when this when this came out i remember i was uh living with my parents at the time. And I stopped and I brought my father into the room I'm like, dad, you just got to look at this. Yeah, and, yeah. and some of this, some, some of that feeling didn't go away. And obviously like, 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 like had been said already, the there's, there's the new engine and, and Odyssey and origins look, look phenomenal, but there, there's a, there's a charm to the world design in this game that, that really goes a long way in making you feel like you're there. And, and, and the, the art, the assets, the, the design I think is, is still impressive.
3: I think there's a lot of terrific touches. Um, the colors are really wonderful. Um, as you get yeah. out into nature, the greens are super vibrant. And uh, you get the um, the rainbows right in front of the waterfalls, which I was mm-hmm. just noticing. Again, I was playing a, a little bit of Gears 5 last night and saw the exact same Ooh. thing. And it made me think back to Assassin's Creed Black mm-hmm. Flag, because that was like the one effect that really like stood out to me when I was playing it the first time. Uh, going back to it recently, though, I think the most interesting thing was having had the experience with both Odyssey and Origins already, and really comparing and contrasting like what they were doing differently, and finding that, of course, this game isn't as technically advanced as those much, much later games, but Mm. there are some things in this game that I think look better than the recent Assassin's Creed games. Uh, So on the open seas, the boat can really be thrown by violent waves and by the strong winds, In ways that it isn't Mm. in Odyssey. Oh, really? It's a lot more kind of like smooth sailing in Odyssey. You don't get the same level of like just really violent weather
0: out at sea. Ah, interesting. Because I was actually going to say one of the things that slightly disappointed me was although you do get the big storms and you get the 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 twisters and the and the rogue waves, was actually there was there wasn't more. uh, Having played Sea of Thieves in the last year, I was actually I was kind of the sea is really quite placid mm. and smooth a lot of the time which is beautiful and lovely and very enjoyable but sometimes it felt a little too plain sailing as it were but uh, that's interesting you should say that i won't look forward to even more tumultuous storms in uh, in origins and odyssey then maybe uh, skull and bones will have those
3: i think one of the effects that really impressed me the most was watching as a wave crashes over the ship watching the water kind of like pour across the deck and yeah. it feels like like in this game again to compare it to Odyssey it feels like the crew members really have unique and individualized ro- um, roles which in mm. Odyssey everyone is just kind of like a rower uh, there's a couple people <laughs> off doing different things but I feel like in this one you really got to like witness and um understand the, yeah, the role of everyone on ship go
0: down rigging and
3: yeah yeah, it's, just, yeah so. it's it's very very impressive um to speak more about the animations um i felt like yeah. like combat we can We'll get into later how it plays, but just like how it looks, a lot of the animations, uh, they use uh, like canned animations here as opposed yep. to the more kind of procedural things that allow for a little bit more kind of like freedom in, in the way that you fight, a little bit more Dark Souls-like in the later Assassin's Creed game, which I think improves the gameplay to an extent, but um, here like the... The animations for um, combat I felt like were more cinematic and more like exciting to watch sure. than the animations in the the later Assassin's Creed games. Mm. But yeah, it's a uh, it, it's it's a very impressive world. I will say overall though that it didn't really didn't really grab me in the way that other Assassin's Creed games do, and I think that's because, like I said, like I don't really I don't really like Assassin's Creed gameplay that much. But I do like spending time in the worlds. And so it's always kind of the worlds that win me over, you know, getting to go to revolutionary France or getting to go to, you know, industrial Britain or something like that. You didn't get that same level of like cities or anything that felt like like a lot of this world feels just like nature, which I don't really feel plays to Assassin's Creed's strength necessarily Mm. there's uh there's moments in here where as you're exploring the open world and a lot of it's more kind of natural portions you would find to borrow terminology from the tony hawk games you would find lines yeah uh where you know you'd see like trees that were bent in certain ways that obviously led to like a sequence of events and it's always like it kind of drew just kind of drew your eye to the artificiality of everything And sure enough, then you would end up coming back to that island and there would be a mission there later. And it's like, oh, this is what I write. It's a little bit like this
0: assault course, Chase. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, It's a little bit like, uh, like seeing how the animatronics work at Disneyland or something like that. It just kind of like ruins the magic a little bit, which is easier to hide in the urban games because everything is artificial, but yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of, kind of iffy on the world. I think it's beautiful for what they made, but it's just not really what I want from an Assassin's Creed world.
1: I think that's definitely something that improved over time, but every time I ended up in particularly chase sequences around uh, wooden walkways and huts uh, for little town settler ships that were on sort of the edge of an island, which seemed to increase as the game went on, I seemed to be doing more of those, Um, it just became sort of a lesson in absolute frustration, uh, and I It almost wanted to make me stop playing the game, and I think these are probably the reasons why I had such an elongated playtime, because I started to really fall out of love of wanting to be in that world. There's certain bits where it's quite majestic, where you see little waterfalls on islands, or you can go diving into the water, and you've got Mm. this sense of exploration and stuff, and then you get these really generic, uh, duplicated environments that are awful, and it started to feel like the more I played it, the latter was outweighing the former. And the joy mm. started to be sort of pulled away from that for me, mm. um, and I really stopped enjoying the exploration mm. because you would either accidentally jump off into the water, or you'd end up falling down, or you'd go the wrong way, and um, you'd run into a building wall, but like and be and be stopped. And a lot, a lot of these did revolve around chases, which meant that you'd have to restart the mission, and particularly if you're going for the hundred percent completion or the complete all synchronization, it was so frustrating. It was absolutely ridiculous. Heck,
3: there were a lot of barriers to immersion in the way that the world was built and the way that the game was built. So many things that just kind of make it feel like a video game. Not that that's necessarily a problem, but when you're trying to build kind of an immersive uh, scenario, you know, it, these, these kind of things stick out. Things that later Assassin's Creed games, I think, I think have found solutions to. Um, but mm. sometimes replacing with other problems. Um, but the uh, the flying shanty pages feel like are fun little challenges, <laughs> but they feel like something more like out of ukulele rather than... Yep. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. You know, this kind of like breaks the immersion. The Animus shards and other collectibles feel very video gamey as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, of course, their justification, Ubisoft's, is that this is a video game. Yeah, sure. As in, uh, but whether that's a justification for having the player spend probably 30, you know, I don't know, to catch everything like 25 hours of their life doing it. And it's, it's all optional. Of course it's always optional, but actually there are, there are reasons to go after a lot of this stuff. If not all of it, the, uh, the map and how it's littered with
3: collectibles from the very beginning and, um, At the end of missions, you would get that rate this mission prompt, which just, yeah, it's the most like immersion breaking possible (laughs) thing you can do. But I
0: don't know. Please
2: take care. Please take our survey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: But again, it sort of makes sense within the overarching story of the stuff, doesn't it? So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, On the subject of the graphics, Brendan, California. Says no Assassin's Creed game since has sucked me into its world the way this game did. Perhaps I've become more jaded towards Ubisoft games, but AC4 felt like a sublime virtual vacation. The game world felt alive and vibrant. I'll never forget that moment first playing the game, clambering up the greenery to the highest peak and swan diving to the pristine Caribbean water below. However, MaxStat makes an interesting point, with a bit of inside knowledge, says a bit of a downgrade in terms of animation. It wasn't a huge step backwards, but I tend to be very picky when it comes to that. Majority of my issues come to how dual sword combat was animated. Some moves are weirdly sped up and Edward looks at times like he's chopping cabbage as compared to how Connor moved. I assume it's partly because at this time, very talented Jonathan Cooper left Ubisoft to do animations for Naughty Dog. Uh, All of the subtitles in the game are written with every noun capitalised. This is because this is how English used to be written during the 17th and 18th century. Not a mistake there. That's according to IMDb trivia. So, yes, next time you're correcting somebody's uh, modern use of English, remember that if you're not using every noun with a capital, you're not using proper old fashioned (laughs) English either. (laughs) Warfendorf says this game was vast. I had just moved overseas from my first ever full-time job to teach English and I was finally getting settled in. This was about a year after graduating college, university, with no job lined up. For that year I found myself in a directionless transition phase. What was I going to do with my time? What was I going to do with my life? So I played Black Flag when it first came out on my brand new gaming laptop. I'd Frankensteined together PCs in the past from discarded friends' and family's computers, but this was the first time I'd ever indulged and bought a new one. Immediately, I cranked the graphics all the way up to ultra, and then lowered them to medium in resignation. Still, Black Flag had the most convincing waters I'd ever seen. Thinking back, this game helped me realise something about that confusing, overwhelming time in my life. There was a moment... I was sailing in that sparkling blue-green sea under that wide-open sky with my crew and nothing but the ambient noise of waves, birds and creaking wood. That's when one of the rowers started singing out from the quiet, his voice fumbling its way into key. I dreamed a dream the other night, and he was joined by the rest en masse. Lowlands, lowlands, away me, John. The singing felt natural. The game's details and its trust in the player to find their own way pulled me into the world. At the same time, in the real world, I remember it was sunny, with a perfect matching breeze coming through the window. I was there, in the Caribbean, and I could go wherever I wanted and do whatever I wanted to do. When I think back to Black Flag, I think back to my time in my life when my mindset changed. When confronted by the vastness, either of the sea or of my adult life, I stopped considering myself lost and began to embrace the wonderful freedom. Well, that's nice. And it brings us nicely on to sound design. There's a score, of course, as always, with uh, exactly as you'd expect with lots of, uh, I suppose it's mainly Celtic influences, but um, influences of the kind of music you'd hope to hear in a piratey type adventure. But for me, and I remember Jay saying at the time when he was playing this the shanties are the star, actually, although they're not written for the game. They're traditional songs and you have to collect most of them to actually get them to be sung on board the uh, the jackdaw. There are some truly kind of, you know, really atmospheric moments. Definitely that uh, that shanty that uh, the Warfendorf mentions there as, as being a really haunting tune. There's some very silly ones and some kind of rowdy and bawdy ones. But uh, it was absolutely worth collecting the ukulele <laughs> shanty sheets. <laughs> to, um, to make sure that your crew had the biggest repertoire.
3: I think these, uh, these fit in really well here. They've kind of become something that's, that is in all future Assassin's Creed games, or at least the ones that have um, significant boat sections, which I You're feel right. like they fit better here than they do in the later games. And it feels like a mm. little bit of a carryover afterthought. Um, like as I'm playing Odyssey, the amount of time that I spend in the ships is like, it tends to be so like point to point. Like there's not the same kind of just joy of exploration and sailing as there is in this game, which has such a broad focus that like you really need something to, you know, to kind of spice up that, um, that time on the ship. And so, you know, I, I feel like they work really well here, um, but their effectiveness kind of wanes a little bit as the series goes on and becomes less
0: ship focused. How about the, the score, the actual, uh, you know, the classical, the proper OST for the game?
2: Yeah, I I think the soundtrack to this game is incredible. Mm-hmm. I rarely listen back to kind of big orchestral theme scores. You know, like if, if I'm listening yeah. to video game soundtracks, I don't normally revisit a lot of things like that um, because they kind of tend to run together. It's almost like the superhero m- movie music. You know, it, it's, it's going to hit the yes. same kind of beats and notes and um, everything else. Yeah. But I, I, this just has. This has charm and personality, and I think it's probably just because I prefer kind of. uh, If I were to think of a movie score that I really like from the last twenty years, it would probably be Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl. I I like that style of orchestral music, and um, so yeah, I listen to the soundtrack quite quite a bit. I think um, it has a really. This is going to sound ridiculous. Really. Uh, interesting use of the didgeridoo i think is mm-hmm. uh yeah. r- is, it's like it's used to kind of highlight these emotional notes and like these these periods of tension like that kind of like the it makes the the score kind of breathe in and out and i don't know i think it's um f- for this type of uh soundtrack i, I think uh assassin creed 4 um kind of rises above um its peers in that
0: way Of course, listeners, if you just go and listen to a Black Flag album, you'll have a very different experience. (laughs) But uh, uh, enjoy some Henry Rollins. Why not? So, yeah, let's talk about the core fundamental moment-to-moment gameplay of actually controlling Kenway in this game. There's uh, Carl's already said some of it, and and certainly having come off the back of my two previous Assassin's Creed experiences, both of which I overall enjoyed, I think there is still... uh, uh, and I sort of understand it a certain amount of sort of almost snobbery from certain quarters about the series. And I think it stems, a lot of it stems from the slightly kind of, I don't know, I don't know how best to describe it. But it is, it can be a bit mindless, like as in the the locomotion of your character is often a case of just holding the analogue stick and forward and right trigger like that is controlling your character in this game a lot of times killing enemies a lot of the time is a question of pressing the counter button and then pressing the attack button and that will do it like it's super simple it's not elaborate it's not intricate it's not like classic video game Japanese kind of video game design like something from it's certainly nothing like you know a devil may cry or a from software game or something like that It's it's kind of it's imprecise and it's all about the cinematics and it, for me, it can be enjoyable, but the real lack of feeling that you're actually doing a lot.
2: It's really difficult to praise the movement of Edward in this game at all. Um, none of it feels very good. Um, I think, and it was kind of talk, talked about before, um, that the mission design is really, it really highlights the kind of bad feeling parts of this game. I mean, they're either eavesdropping or chasing it just feels like every story mission was just eavesdropper, chase mm-hmm. eavesdropper, chase and it and mm-hmm. i got to the point where like i threw 100 percent synchronization which i did in assassin creed one and two um i threw that out the window after you know maybe the third you know third chapter and third sequence um because it just it, it just didn't feel fun to do and it was hyper frustrating and Assassin's Creed already has always had the wonkiness. I remember I, I, I put something in the Caner Slack a few weeks ago about how, you know, anytime I approached a flat surface, Edward would try to climb it. You know, so I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. that, that happens. But but just the navigating these tight areas that I really enjoyed looking at and enjoyed being in and felt like this world was well realized. But man, just moving around as as, as Edward is 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 a bummer. And I think I think this game really is bolstered by the fact that I think the naval stuff feels so great, so that when you are balancing what you're actually doing moment to moment in the game, like like the missions to me were taking me back to the part of the game I didn't want to play and were kind of interrupting me from going back out on the open sea
3: and doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that go into making the animations look really good, and that's kind of, you to do that, you have to keep a certain level of control over what you do and don't allow the players to do um you know we aren't quite at like breath of the wild levels yet where like everything that you do has a certain level of like reactive animations that just kind of like figure out a way to make it look good as well like i I feel like it's kind of struggling against its own ambition in that regard but i think that like i think it's kind of worth the trade-off for me um there are some really frustrating elements um like like when you're trying to sneak around you can't just like duck and run you know you you have to either like crouch behind or like close to a uh, close to a bush or close to a short wall to get him to actually like bend over um which feels <laughs> very strange like as you're just walking like in full stride between two cover points and it's just like this is not how a real person would behave in this situation um this is after arkham asylum this is after many of the hitman games so you know it feels like that's something they could have probably figured out You're kind of like locked between two speeds of like a really kind of slow (laughs) walk or like an absolute sprint, which doesn't necessarily help when you're trying to like close distance in a stealth um, scenario. But I, I do think that like even though the combat is pretty mindless, even though the navigation is pretty mindless, like it does still look really great. Like the animation <laughs>
0: back to the graphics yeah
3: <laughs> no I, 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 like animation wise like the animations Yay. for climbing the animations for for combat and just like seeing people tumbling over the edges of ships and like that kind of thing it's just like it makes it feel like like those old robin hood movies or something like that where it's just like a like a over-the-top adventure which is kind of Epic, what i yeah. want for a pirate type mm. game anyways yeah yeah, yeah there's there's certain things like the uh like if you decide to swing on your rope when you dock your ship you always swing over mm. the dock and land in the water on the other side and it's like he would have yeah. been able to figure that out if he was a real pirate like what's the disconnect here
0: there also seem to be some curious moments where i thought traditionally with assassins creed games if you go to a high you climb to a high point to synchronize the area and it unlocks you know details about the area and what's there i thought it was fixed so that if you pushed forward and jump and right trigger, you would always do the signature like 85% iconic eagle of the time. jump. But sometimes <laughs> you just jump straight off and desynchronize and die. That's it, I've had
1: enough. Goodbye, cruel <laughs> yeah. world. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also important to remember that when it comes to the actual movement of Kenway throughout this game, it's light years ahead of where the franchise was two iterations ago. Again, right. um, you know, the Ezio trilogy. Um, I'd have to go back. Really it's been ropey. a long time. Yeah. And one of the keys and one of the benefits that I've had going through Assassin's Creed is going through them in order, because going back, you kind of really see how far it's come in terms of its movement.
0: But they were still obviously wed to certain conventions that, you know, that were baked in. They couldn't yes. just, they, they, they weren't able to just scrap it and start again at this stage.
1: No, and I... I it's no coincidence when you see what they were trying with Unity in terms of the freeform climbing up and climbing down to try and right mitigate again. some of those problems um, that you do have. And you you see regularly, I think, is the problem is you consistently bump into the same issues in this game. Mm. You know, you're okay when you're running across trees, but you can't always reach the branch that you want to reach. Mm. Um, any flat surface, as Brian's mentioned, for, you'll go vertical. Um, the game wants you to hold right trigger everywhere to run, but then that'll also just propel you into climbing same Um, problem yeah yeah and yeah and and it's kind of as you've mentioned this is the sixth iteration and it's the sixth time we're seeing these same stupid issues um and it it felt like there's only so long you can keep taking it you know, thank goodness the franchise has moved wholly in a different direction. Oh, absolutely. Away from yeah. the, the, the sort of the movement and animation that we had
0: in Black Flag. Took another few, though, right, after this one? It
1: did, yeah. U- Unity was a, a, a sort of a, a step in the right direction, but it kind of took until Origins until I went, actually, we're going to just rework the whole sort of thing yeah. syndicate took a took a
2: big
0: good step in that direction too yes and it all really comes back to prince of persia sands of time doesn't it that's where this this style of movement was born and when that came out in 2003 it was like wow this parkour stuff this you know yeah. such an intelligent kind of um streamlined uh elegant way of of having a character run around in a 3D space without it being at sort of constant risk of misjudging a jump and falling off. But, but by this point, we were sort of thinking, actually, we'd like a bit of control back, please. Super user even says the combat continues to feel as unresponsive as Assassin's Creed 3, but to an even greater extreme, in fact. So your mileage may vary. It feels like every press of a button launches into a long animation and you can get through almost any fight by mashing. You don't need to mash, though. I would say it's more satisfying to actually Batman it, um, Asylum it, and actually try to learn to not button mash. And then you actually feel at least like, although it still feels like a QTE, it feels like a QTE that you're playing rather than uh, brute forcing your way through, I suppose. I would also recommend, and I only did this late in the game, turning off quite a few of the HUD elements to Mm. add to immersion in the game generally. The HUD is really quite... Um, and I guess I've been thinking about this since GTA 5 and Breath of the wild. You can actually really damage your your game experience I think with too many HUD elements, especially if you're only ever looking at the map or whatever and and the yeah. icons to actually you know the, the the there's a there's an option in the in the HUD menu which co- which is called puppeteer which is actually the the simply the four button. Uh, icon at the top right of the screen which says what to press next basically turn that off and you actually feel like you have to play a bit more rather than just reacting to screen prompts even though fundamentally you're doing the same thing you're at least doing it based on your own experience and intent rather than the game telling you this is what you have to do now to get through this combat scenario worth thinking about.
2: Yet yeah, the the combat, I it definitely understand super users complaints about it. I didn't mind it as much. I, I do like the kind of, uh, you know, weight and, and, and counter system. I think, you know, it was it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed playing that for whatever reason. Uh, one thing I do have to say about the combat in this game is that it is. Like, uh, no Assassin's Creed game is tame in its violence, but this is hyper-violent. Like, there is not... It is very violent. Th- I, yeah. I remember, I, I guess I forgot until I replayed it. Like, the first couple encounters, I was laughing out loud at the hyper-violence of just, like, you know, <laughs> Edward shoving his hidden blade and an entire scimitar through somebody's <laughs> head. You know what I mean? Like, like completely <laughs> through. Like, he's shiska his forehead. And I, and I remember laughing. My wife was like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, this is just this is just brutal it's just absolutely brutal and then you know moving on like it didn't happen or like it was no big deal like it, it it those animations like somebody took some real care to make some hyper violent animations and if if it's not your thing i could i could Kind of, I could see it being a little jarring at first, like, you know, kind of, but then like most of these things, like you said, with your body count, Leon, by the end of it, you know, I was ho-humming my way through, you know, face stabbing and and that was just
0: kind of the end of it. That man had a wife, but they're all colonials, you know, <laughs> uh, it's only Brits and Spanish.
3: And- <laughs> Another one of the interesting things is like having played, um, Origins and Odyssey, you know, before going back to this one, like I was really actually pretty happy to be back to the old Assassin's Creed, um combat structure like i think that the actual sword play isn't super engaging they could probably do a little bit more to make it a little bit more kind of batman like to give me a little bit more Mm. like feeling of agency but yeah
0: a bit more responsive but i
3: do like that i can actually sneak up on somebody stab them and like be reasonably sure that they'll be dead afterwards like instead of the more recent kind of like level based system where it's just like you do less damage
0: to people that are higher levels and yeah <laughs> All right. I don't know. So you can stab people in the throat with a with a with a wrist blade and then they go ow. Then, yeah, they are going to be get like, like that. really cross
3: with you but <laughs> yeah yeah but um <laughs> okay. one little combat thing yeah. that bugs me a bit was that um combat controls differed slightly from hand to hand and weapon combat. So for carrying yes, yeah, yeah. with weapons you have to hold B but when you're hand to hand you press B like in Arkham Asylum. And so I don't know why They're like opposites from one another like Mm. that, but uh, just little things like that. But Mm. yeah, just throughout the the game, like the whole control system, like there were, I think, specific choices that were made, things that were included in the game that drew attention to some of their weaknesses, which we Mm. might have glossed over otherwise. I feel like the animus shards were often placed in such a place where you just kind of like launch just to the left of it or just to the right of it. And it's like, why can't I just
0: jump? there like he knows where I want to get to the, the um you get a little walk the entire circumference of the island to get back to the place where you yeah, need to jump yeah. off again. This is like very that.
3: strange. Mm. I don't know why you would be drawing attention to things that you know the game doesn't do that well.
0: Mm. It's worth saying, I think, also, um, a lot of the sort of upgrades and and skill-based stuff in this, like, the, it's just before the real proliferation of kind of... Um, ev- <laughs> the point at which every game had an RPG-style sort of growth tree, basically. But in here, you've got kind of a distinct sections for upgrading crafting weapons and pouches and things like that so there's there's rpg-ish elements but i think it, it's very easy to miss a lot of the stuff in this game like it doesn't impress upon you and i don't think you need to do anything i think you could kind of do the soul level one equivalent of an Assassin's Creed game. Maybe you need to upgrade the hull on your ship, but everything else I think you could probably get away with. But actually improving your swords and getting better swords actually makes the feel of the combat quite different. The early swords that you get are very, very slow and you can get like, they've got five levels of speed and damage. Uh, So if you get much faster swords, you get a much crisper feeling combat experience, I think. This game has hunting And wailing and sharking, there was some hunting in three, as I recall. Uh, There was a little outcry from the ever outraged Peter, whose heart may or may not be in the right place at times. As an animal lover and a lifelong vegetarian myself, I sometimes, I'm not always sure they tackle these things in the best way, but uh, they condemned Black Flag as disgraceful after a screenshot of the wailing was released. A Ubisoft spokesperson provided a response to IGN. History is our playground in Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed F- uh, 4 Black Flag is a work of fiction that depicts the real life events uh, uh, during the golden era of pirates. We do not condone illegal whaling, just as we don't condone a pirate lifestyle of poor hygiene, plundering, hijacking ships, and over the legal limit drunken debauchery. Ubisoft later established Susan Drayton, a character in Assassin's Creed Initiates, as being anti-whaling. <laughs> um, yeah, it's one of those, I mean, we've I think even uh, even a lot of folks who do are happy enough to eat meat in real life sometimes have that thing in games where they're fine killing one thousand two hundred uh, Spaniards or whatever, <laughs> but but then you um, you shoot a blow monkey out of a blow monkey that's a band <laughs> a, a howler monkey out of a tree with a with a with a with a blow dart and you skin a monkey that's uh, actually still alive and just asleep and it's like ooh. So yeah, uh, I tend to, as with Monster Hunter, I just I role play in this game that I'm somebody who wants and needs and is completely happy to go whaling. Um, I don't. It sort of does glorify it in the sense that everyone cheers when you hunt down a beast, Um, and it. But it doesn't really. um, It doesn't sort of sugarcoat it. Uh, There's a lot of blood and thrashing about and gore. Um, So yeah, I was I was okay with that as part of this uh, this scenario.
2: I think the I think the whaling I, I I wouldn't call it glorifying at all. I found that I found that to reinforce my already negative thoughts about whaling. Sure. Um, so <laughs> right. like it was like when they when they end up hoisting the whale up when you're done and it's like just dripping blood and everybody's kind of got yeah, that you know it? yeah it's it's yeah it's pretty nasty. So I didn't do any more of it than I needed to, but I also. I got to I got to have my upgrades right. So I mean, I would I yeah, would put yeah. the morals on the shelf there for a little bit. But um, but uh, but yeah, it, it definitely I don't I don't think glorifying whaling is is at least that's not the takeaway I had from it.
0: No, sure. And the main reason I actually wanted to mention the sea fishing in this game was because they pretty much one-to-one note-for-note ripped out the Resident Evil Lake Resident Evil 4 Lake boss fight for the whaling which I just thought was great it's almost identical
3: I don't think it's really imitatable behavior either I don't think a lot of uh, players you know unmoored
0: (laughs) their boats from the docks and and set out with their harpoons to the open seas that's a very good point it's uh, yeah it's it's harder to get a harpooning boat together than it is a gun oh you're telling me especially you know where you guys live (laughs) Magical Isopod from the forum says I Had a serious moral crisis of sorts when the game forces you to hunt and skin an ocelot. I legitimately sat there for a few minutes asking myself if I even wanted to. I absolutely loathe forced hunting in games, especially when it's a situation like this where it's not about survival or ritual. If I remember right, it's just to make a bag. And that made me deeply uncomfortable. I didn't hunt a single animal in that game aside from the forced segments. Oh, I just shot every animal I saw or knifed them. I love knifing rabbits but only in video games. That is an odd mission, that training mission
3: where it teaches you how to do that, because they set you on mm. this like microscopic island, and you yeah. see these animals running away from you, but like they really only have about 30 feet in total to go.
0: And so like <laughs> yeah. you really feel like a real jerk. Hunting's <laughs> a, a lot tougher in real life, I would imagine, and even in some other games. So let's get on to the other big chunk of the game that is the sea combat we've already sort of drifted into it a few times but the reviewist from the forum says assassin's creed 4 black flag took the wise decision to step away from a lot of the assassin templar stuff and just let the player enjoy being a pirate something that apparently the gaming audience never knew they really wanted but considering the landscape since it's been obvious the impact this game had It's a great balance of the traditional Assassin's Creed collecting, stabbing and hiding in the bushes, taking the best of three strengths but throwing in a likeable protagonist and side characters and weaving the story into the others and setting up future stories. Another great idea was to all but substitute the narrative of Charisma Vacuum Desmond and his saving the universe antics for a first-person mystery infiltration light of the Abstergo complex. A nice change when you get bored of the open seas. And the other great refinement was the trading mini-game, which could be played from a phone or tablet and allowed you to earn in-game cash when not even playing. Despite all of this, the game is more than a little repetitive and I may be in the minority with this. But after a while, I began to long for the more tactical sea battles of Assassin's Creed 3, which were shorter but markedly different. Still an absolute gem of a game. Yeah, I was going to say about this again, it's been a few years since I played 3 and I remember thoroughly enjoying the sea battles in that game, which where they were kind of debuted uh, for this series. And that's when I remember thinking, I look forward to us covering four in several years time, because it will presumably mean lots more of that. Now, most people or many people seem to be very much enthused about the sea battles in this. uh, And I certainly had a great time with them, but I don't remember what the the difference was in three and why, uh, why they were more tactical. If I don't know if anyone can recall their three time to to that extent. But um, but I still found the actual, yeah, the, the ship-to-ship combat in this occasionally overwhelming. You could definitely pick the wrong battle. It was quite possible to go into a battle horribly underpowered, but you can check out the ships that you're going to engage with in uh, ahead of time for the most part. Although the amount of times I, and this reminded me of space games like Elite, actually, you end up in one battle that you didn't really want mm-hmm. to be in because you're your existing battle with a small boat kind of drifted across the path of of other ships who turned up later. But yeah, I had a lot of good fun with this and visually some real spectacular moments as well. Yeah, I have real mixed feelings about the ship
3: combat in this game. Um, Okay. You know, perhaps the difference between the ship combat in three and four is that maybe threes was a little bit more authored, um, its experiences, because I think it kind of saved most of those for like specific story missions whereas in this right. game they just kind that of put sense. you out into the open seas and let let whatever happens happen I'll go through kind of like good and bad but to start off like I think that the ship combat here looks a lot more dynamic and interesting than it does in the later Assassin's Creed games like again going back to Odyssey it's really really cool to see your crew like throw ropes between the ships and to actually board them to swing over to the enemy ships and to have these like massive sword battles on the flaming ships as they sink like that's really cinematic that's really cool um i i really like that uh it's cool to see your crew members like all doing their jobs as you're kind of like frantically going between cannons and the cannonballs that are tied together by a chain like that's it's it's very neat um i think the actual mechanics mechanics of combat are pretty good the fact that it kind of automatically switches weapons depending on where you're looking and and what guns you would presumably be aiming from from that angle Mm. but i think in general the ships are pretty slow so once you engage in battle if you decide you don't want to be there anymore or if you want to try to like steer around a vessel it's not always clear Mm. when they can and can't see you anymore and then if you've been in battle and they're trying to escape you can't you can't dock or really do much of anything else until the enemy forgets that you existed and so sometimes you have to like awkwardly like steer around an island just kind of like kind of like in an old gangster movie when you like steer around the block to try to lose the cops that are on your tail it's just like that's not engaging and fun to me there's always a certain amount of like trying to steer around debris while you're circling an enemy ship which is interesting but again like everything is just a little bit too slow and and big feeling to make that as engaging it just uh, for me personally i i don't enjoy that aspect of it i think it's weird but kind of relieving as somebody who's not like immensely engaged in the ship combat whenever you get that chance to just like hold y to get a massive hit in for free like okay mm. i don't understand the <laughs> mechanics of it or why we're not
0: doing this constantly but swivel uh, guns yeah great
3: well, why don't we just set those up and just like always use them but um because <laughs> they're only good at damaging already
0: weakened spots, you see, yeah. by
3: cannonballs. I always appreciate when I get those. Um, and also, the fact that, like, they kind of have to feel like they abide by a um, stealth game rules when mm. those don't always feel like good fits, um, like, ship vision right. cones are stupid yeah because <laughs> yes there's no reason why yes. ships should only be able to see in front of them this isn't like pixar's cars movies where like there are eyes yeah, so where the eyes of on the, the front of <laughs> the, so where the eyes of the ship are <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like they should be able to see equally all around them but whatever it's it's, it's very it's an true Assassin's Creed i think bit. it's
0: only the smaller ships have those uh vision yeah, yeah. cones but you're absolutely right of course Kiss Mammal from the forum says the seafaring brought back fond memories of Wind Waker and the varied objectives were fun if a little copied pasted around the map a few too many times. The open world initially seems huge and arriving at a new port or fort was always fun. However, I sometimes got the feeling that the developer was perhaps too conscious of the possibility of the player getting bored of sailing. So there never seemed to be a lot of time to sit back and soak in the atmosphere without something or other interrupting. And for me, the distances between land masses felt relatively tiny for the size and speed of your ship far from creating a liberating feeling of setting sail on the open seas, the sensation often seemed closer to that of navigating a shopping trolley around a crowded supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's rather too many floating survivors and loots on the ocean. I totally, I think, yeah, I, I totally get why that's there, but I t- also agree with Kiss Mammal, just a bit too much and a bit too many uh, random or procedurally generated AI instances of, of uh, enemy boats. But there was tougher stuff to go after if you want to max out your ship and go after the various kind of ghost ships that are dotted around the map and royal convoys brian i think you said to me the other day that that you didn't want to leave any uh <laughs> anything left on the map yeah yeah did you get that far no no i didn't get that far Have you taken out <laughs> any of the uh the the kind of the the ruby emeralds of of this uh of this game
2: No, I, I did in my, well, the first time through, I did, I checked my, I had checked my achievement history for it to see if I had, had beaten any of the, um, the legendary ships and things like that. But, um, I, I think I did one or two of them. I can't remember which ones I did. I tried to do it after, uh, I went back after the credits rolled and, and I went down to the southeastern corner of the map and I forget which, which one it was, maybe the flying Dutchman. I can't remember, but. It was just it was just a brutal slog of in and out going yeah. away. I spent 20 to 25 minutes trying to beat the ship, and I I was convinced I was doing something wrong or maybe I hadn't upgraded the jackdaw enough. And I just looked look, I looked up some things in line. And it's basically just kind of how you have to approach those ships. I mean, those ship battles. So right. I I decided that it, yeah. I would leave that for more <laughs> proven achievement hunters
0: than my than myself to to go after. I did find that about three quarters of the way through the game, maybe two thirds, I realised that I hadn't been using the mortars at all. I'd totally forgotten that tutorial. (laughs) So I'd only been using cannons and and the forward shot and and barrels and whatever else. And then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, press the uh, left bumper and you bring up this ability to blow everything from the heavens uh, from further distances away. And in fact, in some cases, you can take ships out before you even before they can even get close enough to engage you with that stuff so that's how i did the last few forts
2: i ended up capturing all the forts and and i basically would just rain mortar fire down just outside of their range for a while and that that worked
3: pretty well i was pretty lucky the other day to happen upon uh, there were three big ships that were near me and a sea tornado just rolled through wrecked all three of them and left them in that vulnerable state where i can board so i got a, a load of cash essentially for free just because i happen to be in the right place at the right
0: time yeah i always appreciate in games in the same way as in a driving game when the ai cars take each other out i always like it in a game like this where you do actually see i know it's all smoke and mirrors really but you get to see uh, enemy ships fighting other enemy ships kind of you know doing and sometimes you can swoop in and kind of finish them off and if if they're not too damaged you can actually board them and then use the resources and i have to say i i enjoyed the sort of yeah the the overarching kind of the constant thought about having a fleet and the resources and actually you know you get a choice of whether w- when you take a boat you can use use parts of it to repair or you can send it to your own fleet and then send it off on these missions which you don't even it's all done via a tactical map or an app if you prefer and uh, all that stuff I found added to the experience overall. Although it's probably again, it's all that stuff as well as hunting for shards and chests and secret maps and whatever else that actually takes you further away from the the actual narrative, the story moments. And again, uh, going back a long way in this podcast, but they obviously did spend, you know, they they definitely put a lot by the story and, and the characters and the, and the, the scripting and the, the performances and all that. You know, they've, they've got a proper cast and they've got a decent script, I think. And, and it's kind of, yeah, it's, I guess it's just a, a never-ending thing with video games that, you know, how many of them ever actually sort of get that balance right for enough people. It's tricky uh, super user from the forum says the naval combat is much stronger as it offers uh, compared to the hand to hand. I think uh, as it offers a fair challenge and changing conditions, but was again too easy by approximately the midpoint of uh, the midpoint of my time with the game. To keep the game engaging, I stopped buying upgrades. It shouldn't be up to the player to correct the game's sole difficulty setting. Well, I agree with that, but as we've heard, if you went after the epic loot, you probably need all those upgrades. Uh, And they do get quite expensive. There's some some of those Kenway's fleet missions towards the end are uh, are worth quite a lot of cash, but they do take a certain amount of engagement. Um, You could spend most... I spent most of the money I got on costumes in the end that I didn't even bother wearing. (laughs) So um, I upgraded the the hideout, the mansion to a certain extent, but then there's still one more that I haven't done, which is like 40000 which, again, for something that you never actually need to look at, all that stuff, I mean... I, I. don't know how how much you know you guys obviously we're all people who play a lot of different games this is always relevant to when we talk about stuff on here because maybe if you buy assassin's creed one you know what for one of your games a year and you play don't play anything else for six months you definitely want to get everything out of it but for me stuff like the hideout renovation it's nice and it's completely optional but there's also a case of yeah what you know what what do i actually get out of this
2: I think, uh, and when thinking back on Assassin's Creed 2, the upgrading of Ezio's like manor, his villa, directly tied into your income. So if you yes. were to spend the the money on, on upgrading that, you would then your your box would fill quicker and could allow more money. And then and there was a reason to pick up paintings and works of art and other things like that. There was a there was a, a direct representation mm. in the game of a benefit to upgrade. Exactly. And this was just missing all that. So I didn't really do anything with the hideout renovation. I did some of the. Yeah, I, I, I did some of it at first because it well, I mean, it has you engage with it as part of the story. But but. I never even really felt a need to go back to that island very often unless the big yellow exclamation point was there. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So if you build up, if you, if you, if you build a a beach shack for the, for your pirates to get drunk in, you, you, basically get free pirate hire when you're in other islands so just you can get groups of people to attack Oh, that's right, I know. Yeah, at a save at a saving of two hundred coins per time. And the same with the courtesans, if you if you if you buy yourself a, a brothel basically on your island, you get free uh, free accompaniment on every equivalent place on the island which again for people who don't know this game it's not like grand theft auto where you you know you have a sexy cut scene these people are just there to disguise you when you're when you're tailing people um so it's yeah it's all a bit peculiar and it didn't feel like the you know the multi-thousand coin investment was ever going to pay off for what you got back from it but then I suppose if you're trying to because all the missions have like two sub clauses as it were so you only ever get 80% by default of any story based mission to complete if you want to get the other two it's often stay out of combat or don't be detected or stuff like that and I suppose all these extra aims if you want to get a true 100% uh, synchronisation as they call it you might be benefited by doing every extra thing so I guess it all comes again. And then I suppose also on top of this, uh, maybe at least Carl here would know about this in terms of getting all the achievements. Do you need to have kind of done everything but everything of the game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I did the whole lot. Um, and I remember distinctly the game became a problem towards the end in terms of having the finances or the resources to actually be able to do stuff. Right, And it required kind of the companion app, the Kenway's Fleet companion yes. app. Yes, yeah. Um, and that was very, very hit and miss in actually getting it to connect and actually send those resources to my
0: game. And then they turned it off.
1: Yeah. And, and now it's it's been turned off that would make the
0: grind really, really difficult now to go and do those things. To so let people know if they don't know, you set your ships off in your inside the jack door in the cabin via a an interactive chart but actually it's then based on real time as a mobile app game might be so you might be waiting 32 hours for some of the missions to come back in so you basically want to not play your game for a couple of days and then come back yeah
1: and it, it does become a bit frustrating and it was probably my biggest turn off about the game was um It felt like a balanced grind because there's always a sense of grind to Assassin's Creed, but it felt reasonably balanced until you needed to finally do the last bits of everything. And it kind of drove you away from playing the game to actually just doing um, the kinds of tasks that we would see in a kind of free to play Facebook or mobile kinds of game where it's kind of those gather the resources over and over. Um, And it left a really bitter taste towards Mm. the end of the game that, that, I still hold against the game now. (laughs) Um, And as I said, I'm still not sure where I sit on this game in terms of there's a lot I liked and a lot I really disliked. And actually requiring the resources to go and actually do the stuff to get
0: everything in the game is definitely one of the things I really disliked. And there's a couple of other ultimate unlockables, as it were, which each have their own fairly extensive missions, um, particularly the keys, which has a whole extra bunch of assassin characters. You need to get all these keys to unlock this costume in your mansion, and I'm not sure what the ultimate advantages are. I don't know whether it offers any extra protection or if it just looks badass or what.
2: I got the only one key from one of the Templar hunts because I did the, oh, okay. those. The yeah, you have to do the Templar hunt missions that only unlock yes. in certain islands after you do certain story parts too. So I happened to see a skull yeah. on my map that popped up, and I did uh, the one. It was actually it was actually one of the more interesting bits of story um in the game. Uh, the, this Templar hunt I did because the, the Templar was um uh, the, the the excuse me the assassin I was working with was a freed slave um much like Adawale a little bit except he had he had taken on the mantle of assassin and you had to take down this templar who was being particularly um uh, bad to the native population by trying to keep them in in bondage and keep them you know as kind yeah. of indentured servants and and it, i i found myself kind of emotionally invested in, in in killing this templar which is another thing that this game really didn't give me this part of its main story but anyway uh-huh. um so i did that yes. and i said um and and that's one of the reasons I haven't um, taken the game off my hard drive yet on the Max Xbox One because I'm I really want to go back and do yeah. those because I've I've read a bunch mm. that says that those are kind of the more interesting and more the times where you're getting more invested in, in the game is, are doing those individual right. side stories so um, I'm gonna go back and do them but I, I think I still have two keys to get so
0: ah, I have one yeah I may or may not uh, and there's also these stones and here's another yet another different slight gameplay element you s- stand across these mystical totem. statues of some kind or whatever and uh, it turns into one of those puzzles that you see in games sometimes where you have to line up some random symbols with elements on the map to be honest these all were incredibly simplistic i thought like they really didn't require any kind of puzzling out Uh, i say that i've still got like two to get or something but and again there's another is it is it like one of them one of the, the keys gives you the ultimate assassin's costume and the stones gives you the ultimate templar's costume something like that? I think that. so. For me
1: they were kind of the last things that I did when I was wrapping the game up. They yes. did, so they never really offered me anything in my experience of actually playing the game.
0: Yeah, after you complete the game and get the credits the extraordinarily long credits roll, uh you can skip it. You get the you get a you get a map showing you uh what Kind of bits and bobs on the map there are still to do and yes there were still loads and loads of assassination contracts and things like that for me uh, probably realistically I won't get around to doing them but I would you know in an ideal world I'd like to but yes, yeah, so the game as we've already mentioned ends with uh, he's basically made his money and he's gone back home and he's not a pirate anymore he's quite well to do he's got kids uh, one of whom by his late partner and the other one is the, is Haytham, a uh, character from Assassin's Creed 3, the previous game. Uh, Kenway's death isn't shown in the game, but in the sequel comic, he was killed when the Templars broke into his home while he is sleeping and gets stabbed to death. Then they take his kids, Hatham and Jennifer. Haytham is raised to become a member of the Templar order, while Jennifer is sold to Turkish slavers as a concubine. Jesus. According to IMDb trivia. So, yeah, that's, you mm. know, that's all that for that. <laughs> That's brutal. Oh yeah, man, yeah, it's pretty grim, huh?
2: Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, I didn't, yeah.
0: sorry to ruin your day. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Not as much as it ruined. Uh, yeah. Wow, well, Haytham didn't know. I've still never played. I don't think an Assassin's Creed multiplayer, but I know that ever since Revelations Brotherhood era, Brotherhood, I think was the first, wasn't it? Uh, the the multiplayer has had some. A lot, you know, a lot it gets a lot of positive word of mouth, but it's one of those games that people don't seem to stick with maybe for very long. It doesn't. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's a hardcore scene of people playing whatever the last good iteration of it was, but uh, it seems to be one of those things that people like, but not enough to kind of for it to be a, a kind of lifelong thing. But um, yeah, I've just never. I may have played it once, but i honestly i can 't remember uh, but I have heard again tell that the multiplayer in this incarnation was uh, a jolly good time the multiplayer of or the concept of the multiplayer in the Assassin 's Creed games is
1: really, really good um, it 's kind of uh, one hunts, one hides, yeah, and you get to use your uh, abilities to camouflage groups of people or set traps, mm. etc., to try and hide for an extended period of time, um, try and blend in like an AI character, all these kinds of things, whilst the hunter has some sense of the direction that you're in. But, of course, if you bolt and run, it generally gives it away. Um, and it's a really, really intense feeling to play yeah. it. Mm-hmm. So it gives the same kind of feeling, for me personally, as something um, like Alien Isolation or something where... Uh, you're trying to remain really still in a moment where something or someone is hunting you which means that in the peak of the gameplay it's absolutely incredible but it also means that I've never been able to have extended sessions of it because it feels like too much over a period of time and maybe that's one of the things that goes against it is that you can't have extended sessions or at least I couldn't have extended sessions of it but it's also a thing that I looked forward to in every uh, every iteration of Assassin's Creed um, I feel like it was one of the key components, and unfortunately, by most of the people that i 'm aware of it, uh, and, and speak with vastly overlooked yeah. so i had, I had a couple of friends that i I would play it with, but for the most part, I kind of had to go in on my
0: own and play with random people mm. There was a ton of unlocks popping up throughout the game, the sort of stuff that links in with the Abstergo challenges, which aren't the same as achievements. There's also the stuff which you can unlock through the Uplay client and get some extra swords and bits and bobs. But there are a load of multiplayer skins and things like that. So I know that stuff isn't necessarily the most kind of development intensive and kind of most or loads and loads of games seem to have all that stuff. But it seemed like... I guess the multiplayer in the previous games had done well enough for them to continue down that route. I don't know if there's any monetization to it, whether it was purely just a way of keeping players sweet about the package they bought and keeping them engaged.
1: Possibly. Uh, They really did throw a lot at it in terms of unlocks, uh, things coming from the thing. Obviously, additional DLC. There was the Blackbeard DLC as well, which Uh I don't know, I guess the idea of playing uh, an iconic character. Yeah um it was an attempt to draw more people in but mm. i feel like it always felt like the kind of multiplayer that if you were in you were in but you were never going to be someone that was going to come into it later on so it would be the same like-minded people who would play that multiplayer in every iteration mm. and the people who were never interested in the multiplayer would never give it a go um and and that was a shame because it's some of the most memorable multiplayer gaming that i've had um mm. and it, it seems weird because Assassin's Creed is obviously a synonymous uh, single-player experience, um, and now they are really sprawling huge single-player experiences, yes. and they've kind of ditched the multiplayer, right. which for me is really upsetting because I would love for it to come back, particularly with the newer mechanics that we've had since Origins and
0: Odyssey. Right. But
1: yeah, it's mm. um, I, I guess if you can get a group of people to all yeah. go in at the same time, yeah. it's definitely worth Probably the uh, best having. way to play. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's probably unlikely you're going to get a random game now.
0: Okay. Uh, Ryan, I know you're not one for online multiplayer. You prefer bots.
3: Um, Yeah, but I mean, this isn't really vital feedback, but I've always been really interested in this style of of multiplayer game. And so while I don't really enjoy online multiplayer, um, Assassin's Creed and Watch Dogs and Spy Party and the types of games that are doing this exact thing are um, yeah. the ones that have interested in interested me the most, but yeah, I'm afraid I can't really give that useful of insight.
0: Brian, have you ever been tempted by an Assassin's Creed multiplayer?
2: I played a bit of this one uh, at launch, uh, but uh, I was. I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> Honestly, i I could not kind of get a sense of how to remain undetected. I would I would be sitting in a bench, blending uh, in, and being like, oh, I think I got this." An and they, they'd come right over and just and take me out. So I I, I didn't really <laughs> I, no. Yeah, I was I was just Are I, you I, whistling nonchalantly. Is that yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> it was just you know idly pacing back and forth, you know, going through people's pockets. But um, no, it really it it just. It seemed like something that was unique and cool, especially at the time. I remember talking to my friend Darren about it the other day, and uh, he played loads of it and, and, and always tried to get me to, to, to get back into it, right. but it just didn't really hit for me.
0: Well, we didn't get any feedback on it either, so I guess that's telling in itself. But, um, but definitely people who enjoy it seem to really enjoy It certainly had a following. There was a substantial bit chunk of DLC, which also was released as a standalone, and that was also given away as a standalone on PlayStation Plus. Freedom Cry which takes up the story of Adawali who is uh, the quartermaster shipmate right hand man first mate maybe of uh, of Kenway on the Jackdaw throughout uh, a large chunk of the main game uh, so here you are effectively the main aim is to free slaves the more slaves you free either by busting them out of jails or uh, catching uh, runaways, well, not catching the runaways, letting the runaways run away from the people who are trying to catch them more specifically, or just liberating entire plantations. Uh, I really like Adewale as a character in the first game. He's just very cool and hard and uh, nicely voiced and acted. And uh, And it felt a lot more righteous to me in this game, murderizing all these people because they were slavers. Like, I understand that the other guys were you know bad colonials but uh, but this the, the motivation being just kenway's comfort and wealth here we've actually got a guy although he gets embroiled in some uh, in some local politics and stuff it really all comes down to freeing slaves taking out slave ships higher aims than kenway had uh, and as such uh, i enjoyed it yeah it's like five or six hours i guess i played of it the real takeaway that i had from it apart from the the fun of playing that righteous lead character, is uh, the music by a completely different composer to the main game, uh, Olivier de I think it is. Uh, It's absolutely astounding. Like, really, some of the most standout music from the series for me so far having only played a few of the games but it uh, interweaves a more traditional non piratical sounding orchestral score but also uses loads of spiritual um, you know black music and things like that and interweaves it in cases there's this absolutely astonishing scene uh, a ship battle where you you are taking down the escorts to a slave ship and then you rescue rescue the slaves from this flooding slave ship but the music there was just like spine tingling stuff i thought so uh, it was worth playing for that did anyone else play freedom cry
1: yeah i waited until i finished the main story arc of Mm -hmm. of all of assassin's creed black flag before i went into freedom cry and i'd actually watched a good chunk of it being played by my father on the ps4 so i was aware of obviously the graphical differences between the two systems but i wanted to keep my assassin's creed plays as they'd all been on the 360 uh, to the xbox um It started feeling like a lot of the same, but with a character that I actually liked. Right. Um, And then it grew into um, sort of more liberating quests of, of, you know, freeing slaves from uh, the fields and stuff. And some of those quests were probably my favourites of all of Assassin's Creed 4. Um, So when you're taking down the large farms of workers and stuff, I thought they were really well-crafted environments that felt like they were from a quote-unquote superior stealth game like a hitman or like in a um like a splinter cell mm. in terms that they were crafted to be approached in multiple different ways to enjoy those right. missions mm. and i felt like that left a stronger uh, taste at the end of it than assassin's creed 4 black flag did mm. um i feel like freedom cry is a more polished product and as a result i really enjoyed it um it obviously, it is a shorter experience.
0: It doesn't feel like it necessarily outstays its welcome. Yeah, it's not as padded. It's a much smaller area.
1: Yeah, and I, and I feel like it's able to um, complete its story arc a lot quicker, uh, which is you know obviously one of the uh, issues that we heard in our feedback at the start, um, that a lot of the story arc in Assassin's Creed for Black Flag disappears mm. because of its duration. Yeah. Um, that doesn't really happen with... Uh, with freedom cry and i feel like that's for the benefit
0: of it yeah it's often the way isn't it these standalone chunks of dlc these more compact experiences they've also been put together generally after the main game's been finished so the developers have learned a lot even if it's not the entire same team it's people who have been in or around the process of developing the main game and it's often yeah it's a more compact and streamlined thing yeah i would um i mean for that switch package that's coming later this year it sounds sounds great the the three kind of from this era all bundled together seems like a cool cool idea but um, yeah if you've got it on PS Plus you can play it as you, I mean if you just want basically sort of a a little vertical slice of the Black Flag experience it's actually a good way to do it uh, it's not completely the same there are quite a lot of the different sub-mechanics and and um, sort of meta game parts missing, and the one thing that I did find a little frustrating and it makes perfect sense within the narrative is you get a lot more hassle from the from the local authorities as a black protagonist than you do as a white one uh, because there's tons and tons of slavers and uh just generally nasty people doing the rounds, and you can't really go anywhere without sort of getting into scrapes I found anyway, so without being much more careful with your stealth brian or ryan did you either of you touch this
3: i played a bit of it back when it was a ps plus exclusive or not exclusive but a freebie Mm, um i didn't revisit it uh in time for this show unfortunately and so i again can't give like that useful of insights but i just wanted to in general uh freeing slaves in video games Mm. always kind of like leaves me with a little bit of like mixed feelings like on one hand i do think that like you know obviously this is one of the like major evils of humanity's past and like it is something that is just feels good to get behind like freeing slaves that's kind of a universal good in almost every scenario
0: but gamifying it feels a
3: bit awkward right yeah like i feel like it does still kind of like reduce people to numbers in a way that like slavery does kind of the exact same thing and so like it it always kind of leaves me with a little bit of like dissonance there it's like i don't know if i like if it's i agree actually so
0: it crossed my mind earlier it's like yeah you look at the thing it's saying you can unlock this upgrade at 300 slaves you have freed 272 yeah. slaves yeah
3: which like if you were playing a game from a slaver's perspective it'd have the exact same pop-up
0: yeah you're right uh, there's also the peculiarity of uh, when you climb into so you've got this uh, Entirely black crew with accents from the West Indies and Africa and places like that, of course. Uh, but when you get into the harpooning boat, they break into uh, English accents for their sh- <laughs> for the sea shanty. Uh, they start singing one of the sea shanties from the from the other game, so they all sound suddenly sound from well from Wales and Bristol and Southampton and places like that, which is which is odd. But you know, maybe they were affecting the accents for the sake of the uh, cultural heritage of the song in question <laughs> or maybe it was a massive oversight <laughs> a Japanese manga adaptation of this game surprisingly I felt was written by Takashi Yano and illustrated by Kendi Oiwa Began serialization in uh, Shueisha's Jump X, or is it Jump Cross magazine? On I have the discussion. <laughs> I think it is Cross because I think it's like a um, it's a mashup, isn't it? Between or a where they bring in other franchises or IPs. I, I'm going to say Jump Cross. Correct me if I'm wrong. Magazine on 10th of August 2013. Ahead of the game, that is, right. So the manga contradicts many points of the game's actual storyline in both modern times and the 18th century. Ah, well, Uh, a summarisation from Alex79UK from our forum says this game is where the series lost me. I'd done them all up to this point, but ended up abandoning ship around halfway into Black Flag. There was a lot to love. It looked gorgeous. Sailing was excellent and the world vast. I think I was just burned out on the series by the time I got here, though, and it was all too repetitive and ultimately dull. The story was hard to follow, the characters unlikable, and I just didn't feel like I wanted to press on. There you go. Interesting mixture. How about our three-word reviews from Twitter? Follow us at Can and Rince.
2: XBenBlasterX says,
1: "Yar Assassin's Creed 4." Aperture Silence says, "Stealth still terrible." Piff Smixel says, "Pirate element underdeveloped." Andrew Elmore says,
3: "This one boat." Anarco Gamer says, "Fun ship battles."
0: Befishpie, enter the Arnamus. Cyblood78 says Pirate Simulator 2013 Superuser says uh, Caribbean or I
3: guess Caribbean (laughs) You can say it your way, it's fine, it's fine Cruise Deluxe, that just feels more piratey and appropriate, you know (laughs) Pirates of the Caribbean Caribbean Caribbean.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Invisible Kraken says Sea Shanty Karaoke Hijo Del
1: Dorito says Heading down to Cuba
0: (laughs) And Mark Hoogland says My favourite AC we will let you have that it is one of the better animal crossing games, I will say <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you meet the thing without a face and then Mr. <laughs> Rossetti gets cross because you anyway uh I think Carl first probably for summarizations, so it's obviously been about two and a half years
1: now since I finished Assassin's Creed Black Flag, and it's possibly other than Revelations, the Assassin's Creed game that I've thought least about since I've played it. It has huge moments of sprawling gameplay. It was a huge improvement for so much of the series. Whether it was the move to the next generation of consoles that maybe that leap didn't feel as substantial as you would have hoped it would, ended up putting a negative slant on it for me, or whether it was just the nature of it being so heavily around uh, stealth and sort of sneaking and and the overhearing missions that... (laughs) just weren't enjoyable uh, compared to the rest. When the game actually allowed you to be free and explore, some of the areas were really interesting and the game really shone. It was kind of when the game wanted to force you down a story directive path that it felt like it was its own worst enemy. And as a result, as I was approaching the end of the game, I kind of couldn't wait for it to be over. As someone who really does dive deep into the Assassin's Creed games and gets everything out of them, um, I felt like Black Flag really missed a few tricks. For everything that it did brilliantly with the shanties and the sailing at sea and the sea battles, which you know really stood out. And you know, Ryan's absolutely right. The the whole weather effects feel really substantial when it's ripping at your ship um, that you don't necessarily get in the later games. The counter to that was the really dull and boring weapons the characters that had no interest in a protagonist that i just genuinely didn't like it's it's a game that i'm still torn about i don't i don't know whether i like it more than i dislike it or dislike it more than i like it i would still recommend it because it's the best example of that kind of world in an assassin's creed game um but it's really not the assassin's creed game that i believe it could have been um and i feel like its ambition fell so short that that's really sad to me. And I feel like maybe a black flag game with the technology we have now could be absolutely sensational and stellar. But I just couldn't... Yeah, I'd recommend it overall, I would say. Um, there There are definitely some positives in there, but it's not the great experience that I would have hoped it would be.
0: Yeah, I felt even though that, as I keep saying, this is my third Assassin's Creed and my first for quite some time, I did find myself feeling the formula Uh, fairly quickly like my initial excitement anticipation for being in this world and the you know all the the fun stuff I'd heard about Assassin's Creed 4 was slightly dampened by the same problems being there that I'd experienced first like 10 years ago or ever in Assassin's Creed 2 with the running up the flat surfaces and all the you know the kind of almost on rails combat and locomotion that this game has that's quite a negative start though overall because i i do think the formula still works uh, for me i definitely it wasn't a game that i was you know f- suffering through and thinking oh god not another session of this even though i put you know 40 something hours into it uh it definitely suffers I think from repetitive mission design and repetitive collection and the yeah the I know it's a it's a cliched criticism but I think there's a reason for that sometimes these things keep getting said because they're an issue and uh, the, the game has the the map bloat and the sprawl while conversely at the same time as one of our correspondents said the actual open world feels quite minuscule compared to the area that you're actually covering <laughs> in uh, compared to real world geography and it did also feel like the developers weren't confident to just let you sail sometimes, uh, and um, I think we saw that in um, particularly in uh, what was the uh, was it the the, the Zelda the handheld Zelda with a boat. They had a, we had a similar discussion with that. Phantom Hourglass. Yeah, Phantom Hourglass. Thank you. Um, where they they kind of took the Wind, wind Waker's uh, beloved sailing and then added more stuff to do. And um, and sometimes when if you've if you've just made a a really beautiful ocean scape uh, with with an enjoyable handling boat, it's nice just to actually let the player just be in it and actually soak in the atmosphere sometimes. But I appreciate it. it's a difficult balance to strike. Uh, but, yeah, not only did I play through the main game, I also played through Freedom Cry. And if I had infinite time, I would probably still go back to them further and hoover up the collectibles in that mindless popcorn way that these games sort of offer entertainment uh, but yeah I, overall I think there's probably more to like than to not like and a lot of the kind of extraneous issues are the, are things that you can just let go by if you want and, and not engage with them and there is for people who really dig their narratives in games if you want to focus on that there's some good performances I think and some, some, some nice scripting in here As well. And uh, and that's worth engaging with if that's your bag, too. So, yeah, uh, it's a it's a soft recommend depending on where you are with the series. Um, But, yeah, certainly I have no regrets playing Black Flag. Brian, I've been struggling to think about
2: what I was going to say in the summary part of this episode, because I don't want to retread over stuff that we've already said a, a, a lot. The movement, as talked about before, was was not great. I think the naval stuff was was excellent. Uh, I recommend this game uh, still for pe- fans of the Assassin's Creed series. I think you can see a lot of the DNA in uh, Origins and Odyssey. You could kind of see the, the like the spark of those ideas in this game. I think. But when thinking about why I, I just don't feel so great about the story and the. Um, The the taste of this game left in my mouth is I really feel the protagonist didn't have the charm that he had for other people for me. And I I think that the assassinations and and what what I loved about Assassin's Creed one and Assassin's Creed two was that when we were talking about the targets they were going to take down and you're planning your assassinations, you felt like there was a real weight and reason to why these people needed why you need to take these people's life there's a gravity to it those scenes where you would take down your target and you'd have that that death conversation right before they pass and you'd gain this insight into the world and the story i felt like those are powerful moments in video games in in the first entries of the series and in this series it just lacked all of that for me when you would take down a target and they would basically just tell uh, Edward that he was confused and, and didn't know what was going on. And, and he's basically just saying, where's the treasure? You know, like, like what's the observatory? And I just feel like it lacks some of that punch that the games had in the past. I still think it's fun to play. I still think it's I think it has a lot to offer as far from good gameplay. But I, I just it didn't do the same things for me that other Assassin's Creed games have done. And for that, I think. That while I was glad to go back and play it, I'm not sure if I'll be uh,
0: uh, eager to pick up that Switch version when it comes out. Hmm, Interesting. Not as positive as I'd anticipated so far. How about you, Ryan?
3: Yeah, first of all, I just wanted to say that it feels good to be back on Cane Rinse again. Um, again, yeah. apologies Great for the, uh, the croakiness throughout the episode, but I'm the editor, so that's my cross to bear. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I just... It was very interesting going back to this game with my memories of it from the first time around so many years ago because I bought it originally as like a tech demonstration uh for my new you know powerful p s four and going back to it now that tech has moved pretty significantly beyond it and uh, game design has moved you know on since uh so many years ago it's just very interesting to kind of like re-experience the game again with different lenses and see you know what things have dated poorly and what things actually have held up really well and what things even have kind of surpassed what Assassin's Creed games have done since. There's a, there's one little point that I, I thought was very funny. Um, I, I talked with uh, Leon beforehand on the, on the Slack and he didn't have the same experience of this, but I noticed it the first time I went through. And then I noticed it again when I played it recently is that um, for some reason, like the eyes and the teeth are too white among the characters and they really
0: stand out in a in a very noticeable way to me anyways i saw um one character like i only noticed this on mm-hmm. one character but it was like he had uh he had mostly teeth of the era but then he had like three perfectly white <laughs> modern american teeth yeah and so i feel like it it draws attention to the um to edward's
3: eye line and the other characters eyelines, and it really like makes it very apparent like that the fact that they're look like they're not quite making eye contact with each other. And like, they're kind of just blankly staring off into space, which I don't know. I, I think it's kind of a, like a funny, charming reminder of that period of time. But um, yeah, there's, there's a lot in here. I love the, just those moments of feeling like a small piece of something bigger, you know, whether it's the ship being thrown out, um, thrown all about by the the giant waves is still very impressive. I think that feeling like, a single person on a big ship is impressive. You know, as you are steering the ship and then breaking away from the wheel to kind of run down your um, run down the deck and to swing onto an enemy ship and start sword fighting over there. Like that's that's still very impressive. The sense of scale that the game gives you and the fact that it makes you feel small and you know not necessarily vulnerable because the game is overall pretty easy I would venture Um, but uh, all all that is very impressive I will say though that again like it didn't really deliver the things that I was looking for in Assassin's Creed game because again like I mostly go into Assassin's Creed looking to really get something out of the setting and I feel like the setting in this game felt like a lot of copy paste Um, the islands were all fairly indistinguishable from one another Uh, the natural settings didn't really have that same level of like interest and intrigue that the, um, the more kind of urban settings do, uh, you don't really feel like you're having that strong of an impact on the world in that there's a, if there's a space that is marked out as a hostile zone and you clear it of enemies and come back later, it'll still be a hostile zone. And it's like, uh, Mm. okay, I guess that's just the way that the world works here, which maybe is accurate um but overall like i feel like when this came out it had a narrative of being the most ambitious assassin's creed game to date both um from Mm -hmm. ubisoft and from uh, reviewers and the community and everything was everyone was really like kind of bigging it up for being such an ambitious because it you know it, it did things that no other games were doing at the time but i feel like that more than anything does a disservice to assassin's creed 3 which had this kind of naval combat system. It it was the pioneer of like that style of gameplay, but it, it also had the urban environments. It had more of a, of a impactful story. I would say it had, it had the, it introduced the kind of natural settings as well. And so, you know, I think yeah. a lot of the things that Assassin's Creed four is doing three did maybe not better because I, I didn't go back and revisit and see how that one holds up. But it did, um, you know. It, it is kind of piggybacking off of what three did, and so I don't know why this one is kind of held up when three is kind of dragged down. I feel like in the in the discourse. Yeah. Um, but uh,
0: pirates—that's the answer. Yeah,
3: I don't know. Um, it, <laughs> and maybe maybe that's all there is to it. Like I think that it is fun to be a pirate. I think there's a certain like romantic element that plays really nicely with the open world format of uh, pirates that are all about freedom and exploring and taking what you want like there's not that level of ludonarrative dissonance you know like you are meant to be an asshole and a murderer and a thief like that is a part of just you know being a pirate so um overall i i don't know if i had to recommend people necessarily go back to this one i would say like you know if you haven't played three i would go back to that one first instead i think the gameplay is fine and functional Um, but yeah, the world didn't really do anything for me, which is kind of what I go back to older Assassin's Creed games for. So I don't really know what the, um, what the anchor point would be, uh, to recommend people go back to it, but I I didn't, I didn't hate my time going back. And there are still some things that are very impressive, but I don't know what your motivation would be if you choose to go back at this point.
0: Interesting. Well, yeah, that didn't really go how I (laughs) anticipated uh, I, I think I'm, no no that's fine that's absolutely fine it, it's it's just sort of odd that it almost feels like we as a collective and we all have our own takes and opinions on every game of course we're like collectively contrarian about Assassin's Creed because yeah it feels like the conversation is always around how 3 was you know, like the first low point and 4 picked things up but we've got at least 2 people here who probably have nicer things to say about 3 than, than 4 but that's you know that's, that is exactly you know what it's all about—individual experiences and opinions. Uh, but I did like the game world. I did like being in the in that uh, in that environment, and yeah, it was yeah. I found it draw-droppingly pretty at times. So that that goes a long way for me anyway. Uh, so not a strong recommendation for this one. If anyone was thinking of going back, I doubt we've inspired anyone. But who knows? Uh, anyway, it remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Carl, and the returning Ryan, as well as our correspondents, and to you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please remember to rate and review wherever you get your podcast from. Especially if it's from the Apple platform, subscribe definitely. That's really good. I mean, you get every download as it happens, and we get better numbers, which is cool. patreoncom slash Rince. If you want to get every show earlier, more often than not, somewhat extended sometimes extensively extended beyond the two hours of the free for all show and an exclusive monthly show and three month early format specials and some other treats and tidbits as well. Send us a dollar a month. That's all it takes and it really helps. Next time in issue 387, a two game podcast as we mix together DJ hero and DJ hero Two. Now you're ready to
4: sail for the horn. Play, roll and go. Our boots and our clothes, boys, are all in the porn. To Merotic be Roddick randy, randy Dandy, o. Oh. Heave a all! Oh heave, heave away, away way. Way, hey, roll, roll and go. go. The, the anchors on board and the, the cables all stored. To me, Roddick Randy Dandy, dandy o. Oh. Soon we'll be warping her out through the locks. Way, hey, roll and go, for the pretty young girls all come down in their frocks. To me, rollickin', rollickin' Randy Dandy, oh, heave the polo oh, heave away. Way, hey, roll and go, the, the anchor's on board and the, the cable's all stored. To me, rollickin', rollickin' Randy Dandy, dandy oh. Come, rest the bars, bullies, heave her away. Way, hey, roll and go. Soon we'll be rolling her down through the bay. To be again, randy dandy, dandy oh. It'll heave up port, oh, heave away. Way, hey, roll go. and go. The, the anchors on board and, and the cables all sort To be rollicking, rollicking, randy dandy, dandy, dandy oh.
0: I'm somebody who wants and needs and is completely happy to blow the monkey that's uh, actually just asleep. And it's like, ooh...